if you have a Bible with you this morning, I would encourage you to open it uh, to 2 Peter chapter 3 as we end this time in 2 Peter. Today we conclude our study in the scriptures written by the Apostle Peter. It has been evident Peter has a great love for his fellow believers. He is a contender for the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and he has sounded a loud and sure warning to believers to be on guard for false prophets and teachers. Something else that has happened uh, during this message series is Pastor Doug and I have had the opportunity to work together to plan and to execute this series to both be better equipped personally, but also to minister to this body. And for that, we are thankful. So what does Peter do with his final words? Did he just say goodbye and say, see you soon? No, not at all. He continues to equip the saints. He makes four points, I believe, in the scripture that we will be looking at today as he closes. And they are, remember, consider, avoid, and pursue. I encourage you to listen for them as we read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. Follow along in your copy of God's word. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these to be diligent, to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless people and lose your own stability but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to, to the day of eternity. Amen. Four things that I thought that we should be watching for and is evident in his closing remarks. And the first one is Peter's instruction to remember. And we find that in verse 14 that we just read. And what is Peter reminding them is their conduct until the day that Christ returns. But before we consider that, I think there's a clear reference in this scripture as to the audience and to who Peter is speaking and has been speaking in this complete letter. He opens by calling them his beloved. Many times Christians in the New Testament are also referred to as brothers and sisters in Christ or brothers and sisters. Here he calls them the, his beloved, which takes us back then to exactly where we were last week when Pastor Doug was in the previous section of Scripture as we look at verse 8 and 9 because I believe that it's showing us exactly who he's speaking to. And as you go back to Chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, listen to that when it says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, underlining you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And Pastor Doug explained to us that there are those that would take that scripture and want to say all should reach repentance, meaning universalism, that all will come to know God. No, you have to go back to what he has said of the beloved calling out specifically Christians. And in this statement, he said you, those that are redeemed. And to further emphasize that, turn back to the first chapter of the same book where Peter started to let us know specifically who he's speaking of when he said his divine power has granted to us, I'm reading in verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who calls us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Specifically, when a letter is written, it is written to somebody. There aren't many of us that have read, written probably a letter that has been dropped in the mail uh, in the last year maybe. But we have to understand this letter went specifically to believers, to those that have been called by God himself, his elect. It isn't like that this is an open forum or even maybe like we would think of someone like Martin Luther that took 95 thoughts he had and put them in the public for view. No, everything that is contained in this letter has been written to the elect, to believers and calling them to action to watch for false teachers. So as he reminds us who we are, who the, who we are and who he is talking to, he also reminds us of us, the conduct that we should have. And this is not to earn favor with God, but it is because of what God has done in our lives, and this is our response to what God has done. We're not quite to conduct yet, because Peter reminds his believers of something else. He says, what should we be doing and how should we be doing it? He says we should be waiting and we should have diligence. I see the waiting as also meaning that we should be vigilant. I have a vigilance, which means we're watching out. But while we're doing that, we also should be diligent. And that means being prepared and steadfast, knowing exactly when situations come about whether they be false teachers which the, or whether the truth of God's word be challenged, we should know how to act almost out of instinct. It makes me think of the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25. That parable is considered uh, of the ten virgins, those that were wise and those that were foolish, but I also believe it speaks to vigilance and diligence. 
because it said that 10 of them were waiting for the bridegroom to come. And in that, in their watching and their vigilance, it says, if you've missed it before, all 10 of them fell asleep, but came awake when the bridegroom came. So that tells me that the part of the actual vigilance is not as important as what happens or the diligence once something comes about. And what happened? Five had no oil. Their lamps could not be started because they were not prepared. But five had done exactly like they should have and were prepared for everything, lit their lamps because they had planned ahead and were diligent. So how do believers who are vigilant and diligent conduct themselves? Peter says, without spot or blemish and at peace. Let's take the first two together, spot and blemish. Peter really doesn't give us any information at this time, and most of it is, this is review in his letter, so we go back to exactly what he said, and he gives us a great example of exactly the opposite that are, of those that are spot-free and blemish-free when we look at chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. If you have your copy of God's Word, I encourage you to turn back there. Chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of in instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage of their wrongdoing. They count the pleasures to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Peter exactly shows them for what they are. And if you read more in that chapter, he says the opposite conduct. We've gone over that before, but we know that we should be free of spot and, and blemish. But what about at peace? What does that mean? Well, I believe Matthew Henry's commentary gives us three great examples of being at peace. We think of being at peace on a world level, where nation is not quarreling with nation, where they are not at war with each other. There is no strife between them. And I think the term strife is important because being at peace is the opposite of that. Matthew Henry says, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are at peace with God when we have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. We no more live in sin. Our sin has been atoned for. There is no animosity between man and God. It has been rectified by Christ's atoning work. But also, peace in our own conscience through the spirit of grace, witnessing with our spirit that we are the children of God. Many times our own conscience wants to lead us astray and say to us, are you sure that God has accepted you? Are you sure that you're, you are now right before him? That's the devil speaking to us, my friends, and wants us to be not at peace in our relationship with God. 
It's of, of the devil, not of God. We have the confidence to know that what God has set aside, what he will hold until in eternity. And finally, peace with men by having a calm and peaceable disposition wrought in us, resembling that of our blessed Lord. We should have a peace among ourselves, Christian to Christian, Christian to non-Christian. And our example for that is Christ himself. If you do not know my wife and I, we have a blended family. A number of years ago, we took six children, brought them together. One of them was already old enough to be out on their own, but five of them lived with us from day one. And at one period of time, some 20 some years ago, they were all teenagers. And I have to say in credit to my wife, because if she tells this story, she will be quick to point it out. Those are the years I was on second shift and not home at night. Coincidence? She says no, but because of seniority, I couldn't get on days. But in those days, when, tw when those five teenagers would leave our house, the saying that would go mostly from my wife, Denise, also myself when I was there, would be, remember whose you are. Each one of our children, whether they were wait, they're waiting for their date, their boyfriend, their girlfriend, or their friends, in front of other people, they were going to hear, remember whose you are. Because they were coming from a family that professed to be Christians. And their conduct, not only in our home, but outside, should be one of the same. And it should point to God and honor him, remember whose you are. And when I was thinking about that, in preparing this message, I don't think that we tell our 30-some-year-old children that enough today. Remember whose you are. But that's what Peter is saying to his beloved right, right now. Remember whose you are. So we go from the instruction to remember, but also consider the patience of the Lord. In verses 15 and 16, and count the patience of the Lord of salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in this letter when he speaks in them of these things. See, throughout history, man sees history in man's eyes. That's why we might see the time period that was called the Dark Ages, or the Renaissance, or the Industrial Revolution, or the Space Age. All of those were by man, given by man, the accomplishment of men, or the lack thereof. But that's not how God operates. Even though God is the author, owns, and has created all of time, whatever it might be, and rules over them, man wants to put his signature on it. But Peter says that time is God's grace, and in that grace, 
he will continue to bring lost souls to salvation. Like we again heard in the scripture that we read today and Pastor Doug did last week, there are those that think that God's timing is so much different. And so what does that mean? Well, they would say that God is slow or that God's action means that there is no God or his lack of action and that more time leads to more misconduct. I do not have to worry about it. God usually gives X number of years. We're going to be on this earth this long. Why should I not live the way that I want? But we have to see God's work in all of time. From the fall of man till today, time is about, and Peter is letting us know, God is working salvation through time. Until God chooses to end this age, he will continue to bring sinners to himself. But I think that there's something else in this scripture, and maybe it's the only part in what we're going to be looking at today that isn't a review. That Peter comes into an area that he really hasn't spoken of before, and that's his relationship with Paul. And I think it's a great example of what I said in the beginning about having a peace with others. Because think about it. What has Peter done in this excerpt of scriptures when you think in relationship to Paul? What he has said is, Paul has wisdom and writing. And we use his writing. In fact, he even makes mention of it that it's as close to scripture as possible. He brings those two thoughts together that Peter's writings and scriptures are being used and distorted by the lawless. I think that's a great compliment. That's how First Testament Christianity came to be the inspired word of God. I think it also shows that Peter was not in this work by himself, that he knew that Paul had addressed some of these same issues in his time and in his letters, and they were applicable to what was going on with his readers at the same time. So remember, conflict, Consider patience and also danger to avoid. This is number three. Verses 16b through 17. And that says, there are some things in them, meaning Paul's writings, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures, you therefore, beloved, knowing in this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. To begin with, Peter continues his endorsement not only of Paul's apostleship, but I believe also of his writings. 
Because, see, Paul had been called by Peter his brother. Most of the time we see that referring to fellow Christians. But the commentators say that this gives evidence that it's much more than that. That he's looking on Paul as an apostle like himself. So he has confidence in ministering with him and in what Paul has written. But he also does not say that Paul's writings are hard to understand, maybe by, because of his style or whatever. I think it's because he knows that Paul has taken on very hard and difficult subjects to understand and has packed into his letters many truths of who Jesus Christ is. My thought of that can even be seen today. We think of people, men that stand in the pulpit and do a sermon series. I think of Pastor John Piper, who took the book of Romans and took 225 messages to unpack Romans. I think of John Botkin, in his last series among us here at Crossway, took Romans and unpacked it in 16 weeks, one week for every message, one week for every chapter. And it makes me think of a Google Map. You go on your computer or on your app and you say to yourself, I want to see where my house is. So how focused are you going to be? Are you going to want to see the country? Are you going to want to see the state, the city, the street? Or do you want to get down and see if you need new shingles on your house? That's how specific God's word can be. And I believe that's what Peter was talking about is in Paul's words that others would distort. But listen to the danger. We haven't gotten to that yet. He said, lawless people, false teachers, will speak errors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's told us and warned us about that all through this book. And why would individuals do that? For their own gain. False teachers are doing this, whatever the motive is, but it always is for them and them alone. And we have to remember that the danger is not stated as a loss of salvation. We've already covered that. No true elect that are brought to believing in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, God drawing us unto himself, regenerating our hearts, can ever lose our salvation. But Peter says, we may become unstable. And what does that look like? It may bring sin into our own lives. It might lead us to be ungodly. It might bring shame to the God that we serve. It might bring shame to the body of believers that we are part of. And we must be on guard. And finally, Peter gives us 
the discipline to pursue. Verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, the Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the, to the day of eternity. Amen. See, I believe there should have been a question in each one of our minds from that last part where we were talking about that we have to be on guard for danger. And that question should have been, well, how do we avoid it? What is our course of action? And that's what Peter says, that we must equip ourselves to not fall prey to lawless false teachers. But how does that happen? He says, grow in grace and knowledge. Grace and knowledge. So if we think of those two things, how do we view grace and knowledge? Both are nouns, both connected to Jesus, so they must be coming from him, and he is the source of both. No, I don't think that's quite right. I don't think that that's what Peter has written here. Or how about that Jesus Christ can be the source of grace first, and then our object of knowledge second. I don't think that's quite right. I think it is that grace is, is not connected with Jesus Christ himself in this sentence, but is definitely the subject of the knowledge that comes clearly from knowing who Christ Jesus is. So how do we grow in grace? By seeing from the beginning of this letter and all through the New Testament writing that God is the author of grace. God is the one that has called us out from the beginning to remove the scales from our eyes, to be able to have our hearts changed and our minds equipped to understand the truth of his word. It has been God from the beginning. See, right now in our community groups, our small group, we're studying, and we have a book study going that says The Habits of Grace. And in that, the author points to three things, and they are grace comes through our time in the scripture, grace comes through time in prayer, and grace comes in our time of fellowship together. But ultimately, all grace comes from God, and Jesus Christ is the ultimate source and showing of that grace. Him coming into this world. If you have been part of this church in the ministry that is done and rock the block and what we call Banger Downs Bible Club, you know that this specific song, this specific scripture is set to song. I'm not going to sing it for you, but most of you know it. And very willing and talented leaders like Meredith get up in front and lead the children in singing and understanding this piece of scripture 
that says that we know and should grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And I have a hard enough time just keeping up with the words. And then she breaks into 2 Peter 3.18 and is going, 2 Peter 3. And when I get to 18, I freeze because I don't know how to get to the 18. And by the time I figure that out, everybody else is on the second verse. But it is so easy to teach children and young minds the truth of God's word that that's where grace comes from. Grace is found and is the foundation of the lives of the believers and is entirely the gift of God. We are exhorted to grow in it, and when we grow in it, it nurtures us. When we are nurtured, we come stronger, and we are, when we are stronger, we continue this race called life in sanctification until God either ends this age or calls us home. Growing the knowledge of Christ himself. How does that come about? Peter has been unpacking that all through this book. I'll give you some quick references that he talks about in this book. Chapter 1, verse 2 causes grace and peace to be amplified in knowing Jesus Christ as God and Savior. It's one of the main themes that we have seen in Peter's writing. Jesus Christ, the man, the person that died on the cross, is also God and Lord. He is God of the heavens, creator God, one and the same. Everything needed for life and godliness is available through knowing God. Chapter 1, verse 3. We do not need to ask some wise man how we are to live or what is important in life. God's word should be our source for godly living. And growing in knowledge is necessary for living the Christian life. Verses 5 through 6. We have to remember that always... Continuing to grow and to be more God-like is evident of what God has done in our hearts and lives. If that is not happening, my friends, that should cause us to have question about our own lives and of our own salvation. It is not optional. It is what must happen in the true lives of believers. But Peter closes this letter with a doxology. And a doxology is an expression of praise to God. Only three times in the Bible, this instance, once in Timothy and once in Revelation, is a doxology, not praise directly to God. Peter is linking it to Jesus Christ and God. The same as what we just spoke of. He wants everyone to know and understand the false teachers are wrong when they say that it, Jesus was just a man. He is God. And if he is God, glory should be attributed to Christ because the salvation and the perseverance of believers is ultimately his work. Christ is the one that accomplishes that in our own lives. 
and the one that does the work deserves the glory. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The theology of 2 Peter is presented to believers in the context of addressing the danger of false teachers, but we should see very clearly Peter's description of God as one who has power, glory, and excellence. Yes, it is important to have the lawless exposed for who they are, workers of destruction, but exposing their lies, we see the great hope of believers in Christ in his redeeming work by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. But also Peter's letters can also remind us of God's past judgments and also reveal something of his future judgment, and that is he rescues the righteous and judges the wicked. For our good and for God's glory, may we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we do not want to diminish the thought that we may not have among the body of believers those that would pervert your word, those that would lead men and women astray, those that would be self-seeking and use the gospel of Christ to their own advantage, perverting it. But more importantly, Lord, I pray that it causes us to want to know and understand you better, to be better followers of you, to be greater, greater equipped to do your kingdom work, that, Lord, not only have you shown us grace in our hearts and lives by redeeming us, but you have given us time in this world, time that can be used to spread your gospel message. Allow us to have the desire the time and the ability to do that. Lord, do not let us worry about things that I do not say are not significant because they are, but I would rather focus on the grace and love and mercy and the justness of the one true God over the sinful acts of men. Continue to Amaze us with your grace. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.